Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to Nature Back, the talk show where we discuss about the, the green future of our planet. My name is Tarmo Vetki, and today my guest is Zoe Peden. Zoe, tell us what you do. Thanks, Tarmo, for inviting me on the podcast. So what do I do? Um, so I'm a partner at Ananda Impact Ventures. We're a European VC from C to Series A um, impact. So the areas that we look into are climate, education, diversity and empowerment and also healthcare. So across all those four different areas, we've been around for 13 years now. So one of the original impact tech investors on our fourth fund about halfway through deployment of that now, it's 108 million euros, so 200 million euros under management. And um, the team is based across, well, it's it's Germany and the UK, but we cover the whole of Europe. I'm actually in Barcelona at the moment, a really thriving new impact tech hub, actually. Absolutely. And and so the, the headquarters are in Munich, we've got an office in Berlin and an office in London, and I'm based normally based in London. And how about, would you be interested in how I got to know Ananda? Because I think that's a, a really, maybe an interesting one for your listeners, um, wherever they are, whether they're in the, the Europe or the US, probably a familiar, more familiar story for the American listeners than the European ones. So what happens a lot in, in veg capital in Europe is many people come from a banking or consultancy background. So they spend a lot of time with numbers or a lot of time um, working on a strategic project for two years at McKinsey, then they decide, or Goldman Sachs, and they decide they want to go into VC. So um, it never built anything and never, you know, took those kind of risks themselves. Um, not saying that they're not any good, it's just a different skill set. Um, whereas in the US, you get about half of VCs coming from an entrepreneur background. So I'm one of those entrepreneurs. So I managed the Ananda were my investors 10 years ago in my company. So it wasn't in climate, it was in healthcare. So, but it was in assistive technology, helping people with severe learning difficulties to communicate. I built a piece of software. So essentially my background software product. So over two decades building products, 10 years for other people um, within corporates, and then 10 years as an entrepreneur myself. And then when I exited that company, I became a venture partner at Ananda because I, I knew a lot of um, founders, basically had a very mm. good, strong founder network, particularly around impact tech. Um, I was one of the first impact tech entrepreneurs in the UK, as they called us then, this kind of a attachment. I think before we were we were called something like social entrepreneurs, but I didn't quite fit that mold because I was I came from a technology background. And I guess that this links into how impact investing has evolved 
and matured as an industry itself. And I'm my journey and Ananda's journey is representative of that. So I came in wanting to build a company that was had the similar heart and the the like driven by a mission and the outcomes of a charity that I'd worked for. You know that kind of feeling of of being driven why you get up in the morning, being really driven and seeing, being able to measure the difference that you make with what you build. And I also do that with tech. Now, it sounds but people didn't quite know where to position those two things um, 15 years ago. There wasn't anything around. It wasn't spoken about. You're either one or the other. Like, oh, aren't you an angel? I used to get called because I was helping people. Well, really? You know, not really an angel, uh, not at yeah. all, actually, you know, and, and don't be so patronizing just because mm-hmm. I want to do something either, you know, want to change the world, whether it's the environment or whether it's people's health. Um, that's not this just something that we want to do and we do it seriously and you can use technology to be able to do that. And so it was about changing this narrative that this was not charity. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't don't have to have philanthropic investment into this. We can make money. And we can do this alongside doing good. Um, And that's how Ananda started too back then. So they were kicking off their first one when I was kicking off my business with the same like feelings. And when you you listen to the the founders, Florian and Johannes, talk about Ananda, they'd worked in VC and they'd also worked on philanthropic things and they were and the World Wildlife Fund, they actually um, managed to fund an asset management fund for them, but you couldn't wow. measure the impact. Mm. And they wanted to set up something where you could start to measure the change. And for the people that would put the money in the fund, you could say to them, this is the difference that you're mm. making. And we're also making this money for you as well. Mm. And that's how Ananda started. Mm. I think in 2023, this, um, you know, measuring the impact is probably much more an agenda on many, many more investment firms than just Ananda. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think... I think if I remember correctly, 2014, we worked with the European Investment Fund, who were one of our investors. And together, we set up the impact carry model. So this is a model um, where you have a, a number of KPIs, sometimes just two, maybe three with some of the later stage ones going towards Series A, but keeping it quite light and easy, um, linked towards the business model and towards the impact. So going off a theory of change, which is essentially this is this is what I am doing and this is where I want to get to, which is the outcome is a long way away. And then what are the outputs on the way towards that outcome? Anyone that works in project management will know all those terms. Um, but that outcome being so far away, whether it's around, you know, um, biodiversity measures and making so many, you know, countries or companies nature positive, or whether it's about changing, you know, 10 million people's lives or, you know, so they have um, improved healthcare. Um, it, that's a long way away. And how do you measure what's there on the way to that? And those are the impact metrics that we, you know, that we put together. And those are tied to the carry. So if those impact metrics don't reach 60% of their targets, we don't see any carry. Um, so therefore, we're motivated and values aligned with those founders. And the founders really love that this is there because they come, all the founders that we work with, they're there for a reason. They've sacrificed 
probably better paying jobs than the one that they're in, you know, and it's 10 to 15 years of their lives often, sometimes even more than that. Um, many other things they could be doing all with this purpose, not primarily to make money, uh, to, but obviously that's a bonus from doing it so they could do other things, but to make that change, whatever that change is, and to have investors that are financially aligned with you makes a much healthier business because we know all these pressures that the entrepreneurs put themselves through to create this change. So at least, at the very least, you should have investors who are aligned, you know, for the same mission as you. Absolutely. Otherwise, it's quite an impossible task to actually build something. Well, at some point, they could go on a different angle. Like, you could see many of those. So we've got two investments in satellite and space tech. One of them's in Aurora Tech, which is a nanosatellite for prevention and detection of wildfires. And then another one, which is looking at the detection of methane, AMO. And this information could be used by the defense industry to be able to do things. But as long as we're there and we work with other impact investors, we can make sure that the entrepreneurs are not um, tempted by the large contracts that the defense industry is currently receiving such a massive resurgence at the moment that they don't have to go that way. And the same thing applies when we look at the healthcare ones, that they're not tempted by working with opioid manufacturers or anything that could taint, you know, the future of this startup, throwing money at them to um, impact wash or green wash. Um, the other things that they might do in their industry. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important that you have um, investors who are able to back you up on that one. Greenwashing is something which is a huge topic, of course, and, and uh, you know, sometimes probably raised thanks to the good PR work of the old corporations. Uh, I'm suspecting, at least, as a you know, cynical journalist here, uh, but the uh, for me it was quite a shock to read that the carbon footprint thinking was a BP's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. PR campaign. What that. the heck? Yeah. I know, I know. Were you at the drop? Sorry? No, I were was you not at the... at the drop. No. Ah, oh, they were uh, talking about that at the drop. There was mm. um, a conference. Yeah, one mm. of the talks was highlighting that by another journalist going, mm. look at all these things that we're told about by the press. And this actually goes back to this. You know, it's it's. I think it's interesting if if somehow we've made more of, of journalism and the media in terms of the historical context. Like, what were the origins of this? Maybe there's a book in there, Tarmo, for you to look at. You know, absolutely. Where do these things come from? Just like we we know um, we write about science, but the actually where does that you know somebody discovered this? Well, it's not really. There's probably another fifty scientists who built everything on top of that. Where does it actually? come from you know mm. all these discoveries and where do the things that we think and the things that we talk about where did they come from but yeah climate footprint bp yeah <laughs> uh, i was just yesterday reading a berkeley report on the vera red plus uh the carbon credits uh which uh was rather i mean let's say let's say it wasn't shocking knowing the inside of the carbon in the credit industry to some extent, but at the same time, coming from the Berkeley research, it was uh, sounded yeah. a bit more than uh, the Guardian reports from the last year or the, from the earlier this year or something like that. Yeah, the carbon. I mean, 
we're on here because of biodiversity. Both me and you have a big passion for that subject. And I think I think the biodiversity brigade, as we could call ourselves, has probably been Absolutely. watching what's been happening with carbon over the last five years mm-hmm. and seeing what we can learn from it um, to make sure this doesn't happen again. Um, and if I may, can I talk about one of the, the companies that I, I'm invested into, just because of, course, of the relevance of, course, of this in, of course, in the terms do. of the carbon footprint and what perhaps we can learn about nature and biodiversity. So one of the companies that um, Ananda are invested into is a company called Nature Metrics. They're a UK company, but they operate worldwide now. Um, we were involved, we co- co-led their Series A. And what's interesting about them is they are um, using nature intelligence. So from the field to the boardroom, so end-to-end biodiversity reporting, ground truth at site level. So what I mean by that is it's powered by environmental DNA. So for those of you, you know, new to, you haven't heard of eDNA, it's often referred to. So all living things leave a trace of their DNA in the environment. This is what this is called eDNA. So they use nature metrics, use sampling technology to capture these traces and convert them into simple biodiversity health insights. And what's what's really interesting about this is, and is that today, it was either today or was it yesterday, you'll be the expert on this as a journalist, the task force on nature-related financial disclosures came up with their final framework. I think all the PR is going out today. So in terms of this company and others like it working biodiversity and what's happening right now from like a, a policy perspective, that the two are all coming together. And so what this new framework does, it's been in beta for a long time, but now it's just been released, the, the final version, is it's all about recommendations for financial large organisations and capital, how they can start to use this framework to report on how they can be nature positive. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's really important about this is, and the work that Nature Metrics and other people who are looking at biodiversity metrics is that carbon has one metric and biodiversity, you've not been able to measure it until now, you know, mm. and there's, there's lots of people are starting to move towards what are going to be the metrics now. So having this framework, the next piece is what are the metrics going to be for these different industries? And I've been as a supporter of Nature Metrics, I really believe that underneath all this, we should look at what's going on in the ground and on the earth, rather than just using satellites and GIS or drones, all mm. very relevant, but it needs to be ground truth with what's happening on the base. Because, you know, we can, as biodiversity monitoring used to be done by people sleeping overnight on sites, you know, before construction was done or something like that. And they'd be in danger. They might be in the middle of the Amazon jungle or something, or they're in the ocean and they're looking at what's happening in the seabed um, when like a, a new wind farm is being done. So one environmental thing impacts another on the biodiversity level. It's all systemic. So even the, the great things about renewable energy could be doing some bad things in terms of biodiversity. So what they used to have when they had a person go and monitor this and they'd be reporting on one species it's not really detecting the really crucial unseen loss 
of the small organisms that run the world. So these are microscopic organisms, and these are the building blocks of our ecosystems. I'm sure you know plenty about this too. Mm-hmm. So these are the, like the, the species that cycle nutrients, maintain soil health, protect against outbreaks, disease or pests, and we have that fine balance between nature that gives us clean water, productive agriculture and healthy forests. I mean, ugh, you know, this is everything, isn't it? And exactly. if you use environmental DNA, you can start to detect the changes at a species level. These microscopic species, so where everything, where our world starts, this is how it should be grounded as a biodiversity metric, then using everything else on top as layers. Mm-hmm. So that's nature metrics. They're at the ground base of everything. Exactly. And that's why I get so excited about this. I, I this is what investing is about. Yeah. Really bringing things like this to life, putting money behind companies who are doing something like this. This, this is, I mean, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, on, yeah, you must see lots, speak to lots uh, of companies. Absolutely. I mean, this is, uh, this is uh, I, I think the biggest thought for me, which is coming from this, is that basically a lot of this kind of um, battle against climate change has been, I don't know, dumped down to the carbon trading. Uh, carbon is something which is mm. relatively easy to be measured. It's relatively easy to be somehow brought to the market. I'm now seeing evidence uh, kind of piling up that, um, you know, relatively easy bring it to the market means that, you know, you can write anything on paper and sell them as carbon credits. Uh, I mean, thinking about the biodiversity and, and uh, you know, in a bigger picture, we should somehow replace carbon with biodiversity in that equation because we don't need just carbon, we need a planet to live on. Yeah. Uh, but how to get it done, that's the uh, that's the big challenge. And how to get it done fast because we're kind of running out of time to be you know, looking out on the climate change effects on the different regions. I think there's, I mean, speed, that's always an issue, isn't it? Um a lot of the the biodiversity databases uh, are really really out of date um and that's why we need to you know start an awful lot of investment going into people measuring things that's where we are at the moment and then hopefully with all this new data we then could have more accurate which has been a criticism of the carbon credits and verified measurements so that the the large companies that will soon be mandated and many industries like the extractives and the marine are already mandated to to provide evidence that they are being nature positive so not just um putting things back how they were but absolutely improving them and this is a really positive move and i think this will spread we're starting to see it's been slower in agriculture, starting to see a, a bit of a pickup with some of the customers that Nature Metrics is picking up in that field. And then we'll go through to the supply chain. And that's the furthest away at the moment. But the extractives, marine, coastal, water industries are all really getting into this now. Mm. So I feel, you know, seeing what where Nature Metrics is at the forefront of all this, um, I just I can see that change happening. It will never be fast enough but at least we have this framework now that's come into play 
Um, we have all your activists and everyone's doing stuff on the ground. You've got the companies like Nature Metrics, but for me, it's always where does the money flow? Where's the money coming in? Exactly. And for us, that's not even the VC level. Where mm. is the small microcosm of you know of the capital? It's actually where is the big capital and what is going to and this um, framework that's just been released is the start of all that. Mm. So I'm hoping we've all learned our lessons going back to the carbon credits and how do we verify this? Is this actually happening? Is there fraud? You know, are people investing in forests that don't even exist? Is there anything, what impact are they having? Exactly. Because the, the forest thing um, is like, oh, yeah, canopy level. Okay, that's there, that's not there. What's happening on the ground? Mm-hmm. That's where the real change is happening. And also <laughs> the forestry level, The uh, I think they're kind of the big best example on difference between the carbon and biodiversity is that you know we should uh, for the carbon credit world we should cut down all the forests we have plant new forests from the same bamboo trees and we would be fine with the carbon there would be no problem on this planet uh, they you know they could sink up all the carbon we need we might not have any animals or might yeah. not have any other species like i was just saying all the other species that are interlinked that damage our food, our water, everything. We just, there's not enough acknowledgement as to, we're all in a system and mm. we, we're not linking it together. And I think more needs to be spoken about that. And I'm sure this is what you do on your podcast, mm. getting that that word out that people need to think more systemically around the, the life that we can't see right in front of us. Mm. Um yeah. Actually, in the previous episode uh, to this one, we had a really interesting uh, Lithuanian uh, team talking about their uh, mission to save ancient forests. Mm-hmm. And with the uh, ancient forests, uh, I think their mission was to reach first 100 hectares this year and uh, then grow it to the 1500 hectares, but with the logic of actually preserving the biodiversity and the life in yeah, those forests. Yeah, they with environmental DNA, they were able to say exactly, they'd be able to say the thousands of species that are there and maybe some extremely rare ones too exactly, that exactly. are on the red list. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. But biodiversity is high on the agenda of this uh, show on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it sounds like. When you, when you earlier <laughs> talked about uh, Ananda's uh, kind of uh, areas you guys invest in, uh, the, the diversity also was there. Uh, with the diversity, uh, I've been pitching in some of the episodes here the idea that one should uh, create uh, diversity credits. So if, uh, let's say, a Danish company needs to have 40% of the board members females, they could mm-hmm. buy from this company credits and the company would hire, you know, 100 women in Zambia, for example, and pay for them. Wouldn't that be a good solution? Oh, gosh. I mean, it would be like carbon credits, right? Yeah, yeah putting off what needs to be changed right in front of you yeah you come on you're giving me a lead there Tom I can't (laughs) um it's I mean I can't speak for the rest of the world I I mean I work in London most of the time um the boards that I sit on are increasingly more balanced um it is getting there. It's something that we have in our term sheet. We have a diversity and inclusion clause um, around that the company will look at, you know, exec hires and board level and assess this on a regular basis. I'm, you know, the, the boards that I sit on, um, I'm always trying to encourage other forms of 
diversity beyond gender so that we could get to that point. Um, but I know in, in different countries um, and in the Europe especially that this is still quite far behind what's happening in the UK. The US is quite more advanced, I would say. So there's still an, an awful lot of work to be done. Um, I remember when I was a founder and I had a lot of women invested in me and it was mostly female investors actually that invested in me um and I used to get pulled onto lots of um events and things to talk about diversity and after a bit you get very tired of it because you want to be remembered for what you did not what your gender is but then you know after I exited my company I took a bit of time out and I was like you know Zoe you fool you play a part in this and it may be really annoying that your gender is raised all the time. I mean, you know, for some of my friends, the colour of their skin, you know, I want to be known for the the change that I've made, you know, the, the goods, the, the products that I've invented. But if this is what we need to do, we have a role at this time in our society to act as role models, to, to be able to stimulate and act as catalysts. I mean, I have a position now where I could speak on a podcast and you want to ask me questions like this, whereas 10 years ago, this, you know, the podcast didn't really exist, but a man wouldn't ask mm. me these questions. It was always the women. So, and you were like, well, you know, the, the anger that we had between us, but it's really nice that as a man, you ask us this. So things are changing. You need to keep raising them as a, a journalist and put people under pressure. There are LPs in the UK, such as a Big Society Capital, who are an impact funder funds, who have publicly stated, so I can say this, that they will not invest in any other GP firms that do not have a woman G, female, you know, GP. This is a lot in Europe. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I hope there's going to be more LPs do that again. Once again, look at where this money is coming from. That is the biggest push that we can do. And um, the more funder funds that have this and, and say and stick to it, um, regardless of the exciting funds that could get in with, you know, major mm. returns, this needs to be the change because once people, you know, from diverse backgrounds, whether female, people of colour, socioeconomic, we have different life experiences. We see different things. We have different ecosystems, different founders, nature metrics. That's Kat Bruce. It's a woman. She hadn't had any VC money in. I knew her from 10 years ago when I was a founder. You see, we kept in touch because women do that kind of thing. We have, all, you know, big, big groups of people where we meet up for wine, that kind of thing. We kept in touch and she was ready for her first VC. And that is, you know, just the wonders of being a woman. Simple things. <laughs> so able to get an excellent, you know, make an excellent investment in a female scientist mm. that is doing such amazing stuff. And she's now managed to gather an enormous amount of capital from men and women. So it's not just all women that backed her, for not sure. Anymore. She will tell you that. Not, not anymore. anymore. That's good. <laughs> uh, also, I run here in Estonia one monthly radio show with a couple of guests. And, uh, you know, my policy has been that uh, even if there is one episode with a guests of only male, there will be an episode of guests only female. So kind of logical these days. Well, as things have progressed so much, it's... I mean, I, I still get angry. I'm not as angry as I was 10 years ago at the way that it was, where I'd turn up for to pitch an event. Um, uh, two or three women in a room of 100, 
I'd be what? What? I mean, this would be like alien today um, mm. in most places, um, which is it's, it's substantially changed. But obviously, the the amount of money that's going into you know VC backed companies that are, are run by women is still miserably small. But we're yeah, tiny, tiny two percent, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's tiny. Um, but I guess the more people like me who come through the ranks, um, and then we become a partner an established firm so not just starting our own there are lots of women starting their own but in the more established ones with the larger funds then we can all together mm. start to change that ratio and just for the record just naturally I do not put any I mean I do talks on diverse panels and things like that but just almost naturally 60% of my pipeline is diverse mm. and the areas that I focus on are healthcare it's it's nature tech, nature tech, sorry, and tech bio. Mm. So most of the stuff I do is very technical. Mm. So I'm 60%, just like that. So for all those men who are investing out there who go, I don't know where the women are, you know, and I'm like, oh, get a woman on your team. I'm sh- it's a simple change. Yes. It really is. It's, it's, it's very- just naturally, it just happens like that. And these are absolutely amazing engineers and scientists that I get to speak to every day. I wish I could invest in loads more, um, but we're quite focused. And I only do two or three investments myself a year. So mm. it's really hard, you know, to, to pick which ones that I'm going to back. So, mm. but yeah, get a woman on your team, partner. <laughs> What's the, What are the next uh, milestones for you personally? Uh, yeah. Within work, um, some of the milestones we've got, we're, we've got, I look after all the research at Ananda. So we have a research strategy and we've highlighted um, 11 areas over the next few years of this fund that we want to dive deeper into and go out. So rather than be reactive to things, we actually pinpoint, you know, areas that we want to go into that we find are underfunded or just emerging and that our impact money could act as a catalyst. So I want to see out that thesis. It is a, a thing, you know, I'm I'm in one at the moment where I'm in, in deep due diligence on the back of one of those 11 areas. So let's see where I can prove this out rather than that market momentum that much of VC yeah. is, is goes around. Because I think that also does not help in the diversity either, because mm. you're just ganging up on the people who are already connected to a deal and you want to get in because it's competitive. Go out and find them. It is. It takes longer. It's harder work. But I think then it's your bias goes out the window because you're just finding the best team in Europe. So proving out that, I'm looking at ocean tech as another area of biodiversity, still finding my way, learning a lot about that. So any pointers on that time now as to where I can look and learn more. I think that's going to take quite a few months for me to get my head around where and what and where to get the first investment in, in ocean mm. tech when it comes to biodiversity. And then personally, um, I'm actually sat in Barcelona at the moment. So something that after COVID um, that I wanted to do was London's fantastic. And it's given me my dreams. It, it can be horrible and it can chew you up and spit you out. Um, but it also, it could give you everything that you wanted. It is still a city of dreams. It's still open for people. I came from a very um, disadvantaged background, free school meals, all that kind of thing. Um, first in my um, family to go to university 
And it gave me, it was hard, but it gave me everything that I wanted and my dreams. But it's also frenetic. There's so much energy there. Sometimes you just need to take a step back and see some other things. So I'm spending um, two months of the year in two different places each year. So um, I last year it was Munich. So that was good because I was with the rest of the team. And I did Porto in Portugal. And then this year I've done Amsterdam. Wow, amazing stuff that's going on there. Wow. Uh, better than I realized. And now I'm in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. And this is becoming quite an impact hub as well. Absolutely. Uh, I can recommend uh, Tallinn for next year. Uh-huh. Yeah, I want to go more east. I was thinking that's Berlin, a... but maybe Tallinn. Maybe, yeah, maybe I've, been, I've, been, I've been a couple of uh, weekends uh, to Tallinn. And yeah, it's there's a lot going on in Estonia. Yeah, I've got some friends there, actually. Yeah, and that'd be fun. I think that would be fun <laughs> and it would be useful hopefully also. Uh, I will send you a few pointers for your ideas and, you know, anyone listening, uh, be free to do the same. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, thank you, Zoe, for this discussion. No, thank you, Tommy. <laughs> Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.